Cyber Technology and the European Union's Gestaltian Approach to China, an audio paper by Riza Hazmath and Una Berzina Cherenkova. Section 1, Introduction. Like a Gestalt figure, contemporary European Union and China relations pertaining to cyber technology can be seen as a fruitful and rivalrous partnership. An example of the former, after seven years of negotiations, the EU and China concluded a comprehensive agreement on investment in December 2020. The agreement sets forth a commitment for a greater level of market access to China for EU investors. It also includes provisions outlining obligations for Chinese state-owned enterprises, transparency rules for subsidies, rules against the forced transfer of technologies, and a technology neutrality clause, which would ensure that equity caps imposed for value-added telecom services will not be added to other services. The agreement, as conceived, will create a better balance in the EU-China trade relationship and comes at the cusp of China officially becoming the EU's largest trade partner in 2020. The formal procedure for deliberating and ratifying the CAI in the European Parliament was expected to commence in the latter part of 2021, with a vote most likely to occur in the first quarter of 2022. However, this process has been stalled whilst Chinese sanctions are in place. This speaks to the erratic, conflictual, and competitive nature of contemporary EU-China relations. The rivalrous nature of EU-China relations is further evident when looking at cyber technology diplomacy. The European Commission, in January 2020, recommended that member states avoid dependency on 5G suppliers who are considered to be major risk for national security. In response, the Shenzhen-based Huawei, the world's largest telecommunications equipment provider with 31% of global market share in 2020, was subsequently restricted from providing fifth-generation digital infrastructure to most EU member states, under the guise that key information can be potentially accessed by Chinese state authorities. Sweden and France enacted policies that were, in effect, an outright ban on Huawei telecommunication equipment. Several Eastern European nations, where China has a large influence through the Belt and Road Initiative, signed a deal with the U.S. to limit Huawei's role in developing telecommunication infrastructure in their respective jurisdictions. On the other hand, Germany, with Europe's largest telecommunications market, was cautious on a total ban. By the end of 2020, Ger Germany's Interior Ministry clarified its stance towards engaging with high-risk companies like Huawei, suggesting that we will not ban any individual suppliers outright from the nation's 5G network. In order to explain the EU's simultaneously beneficial conflictual and competitive partnership with China, and notably in the cyber technology realm, this paper utilizes three prevailing theoretical claims, an institutional perspective, a values-based approach, and a real politic 
dimension. First, the EU's relationship with China can be understood within an institutional framework, whereby the EU, through its various organizational and decision-making bodies, encompass a set of institutional norms and legacies that guide its foreign policy behavior with China. The second claim is that the EU is a values-based actor. The body aims to display partially via virtuous signaling both to its domestic constituents and international partners, the values and beliefs that the EU as a conglomerate holds dear. Finally, there is a real politic dimension, whereby the EU's orientation towards China is driven by a pragmatism influenced by internal stakeholder pressures. The paper further argues that the implications for the EU's Gestaltian approach rooted in these three explanatory variables, is that EU domestic and global actors can exploit contradictions when it comes to cyber technology diplomacy. This has the attendant effect of fostering future fractures in the EU's overall engagement with China. Section 2. The Institutional Approach the institutional approach places primacy on structural arrangements, including institutional resource configurations, as the main determinant of an actor's behavior and orientation. Institutions are hypothesized to have thick socializing effects on actors that go beyond instrumental adaptation and the strategic conception of rules to include the internalization of norms and rules into the definition of self-interest and its calculation. In other words, according to the institutional approach, the EU's behavior is shaped by its institutional structure that subsequently generates a series of rituals and regulations for EU actors to abide by. This is demonstrable when observing the case of the EU upholding its inner legacies of not overstepping the boundaries of national sovereignty and softening the blow of EU-level policies. In the cyber technology realm, more potently, this is in spite of the fact that significant vulnerabilities and or cybersecurity incidents concerning 5G networks happening in one member state would affect the Union as a whole. The EU thus has to carefully balance national interests and sovereignty concerns with pan-EU considerations when it comes to 5G. In fact, the EU Commission has simultaneously argued that decisions pertaining to 5G should be a coordinated decision amongst member states, while at the same time advocating that national sovereignty should be a major objective, in full respect of Europe's values of openness and tolerance. The European Commission has been so careful in this near-impossible balancing act between national and pan-EU interests that its stated grounds for the joint decision regarding 5G was not due to the fact the EU is facing a common challenge as an integrated organization, but rather the European Parliament's resolution on security threats is connected with the rising Chinese technological presence, which has become alarming to such an extent that the Union calls on the Commission and Member States to take action at the Union level.
Notwithstanding, understanding the EU and China relations vis-à-vis -vis the institutional approach provides an overly de deterministic account that assumes a path-dependent preference formation once institutional outcomes are in place. Moreover, the theoretical perspective adopts a uniform view of institutional arrangements that cannot account for variations within regions and nations. This is significant, as a plurality of institutional environments can create competing rituals that favor no single guiding preference. Section 3. A Values-Based Actor While the institutional approach is helpful in explaining the European Commission's role in promoting a joint EU position towards China, it fails to fully capture the Commission's motivations for doing so. A values-based approach, that is one that examines actors' motivations, has the potential to be instructive in this regard. As a normative actor, the European Commission understands that its role is not simply to coordinate the member states' positions, but also to shape them according to EU values defined broadly as a respect for human dignity, freedom, democracy, equality, the rule of law, and respect for civil and political human rights. Such values are intimately linked to perceived cultural legacies and historical heritages that the EU as a body is a testament to. That is, from its inception, the EU and its institutions are deeply embedded in a socio-cultural nexus of its member states, with foundation members states, for example Germany and France, generally having an outsized influence on the development of prevailing values structure. As illustration, the European Commission immediately links technology with the EU's underpinning value of democracy. It states, the organization of democratic processes, such as elections, will also rely more and more on digital infrastructure and 5G networks. If the EU's motivations were merely to exclude competitors, such verbatim would not be necessary. The values aspect is so ingrained in EU policy planning that it appears even in the technical recommendations for member states. For example, the European Union Agency for Cybersecurity Guidelines for National Regulatory Authorities on Incident Reporting, Security Measures and Threats and Assets contain values discourse, for example, good practice, development of cross-border communities and elements of normative discursive motivation. For example, harmonized implementation of legislation creates a level playing field and makes it easier for providers and users to operate across different EU countries. This approach is understandable. An engaging normative language can make a difference since the guidelines are non-binding and ultimately it is up to the member states to act on recommendations. Falling back on its normative role, the EU reserves the right not just to balance the interests of member states, but also to exercise its authorities in the ethical domain. Member states are advised to act according to its recommendations because it is good practice. It is simply the right thing to do. In the case of the admission or exclusion of China's Huawei in European 5G networks, 
the EU is faced with an additional dilemma in the values domain. The EU dictates that companies such as ones widely prevalent in China with a blurred state private ownership division, non-transparent private data protection protocols, and or located in nation states with a perceived problematic record in human rights violations, for example, China's management of ethnic minorities in Xinjiang should not be provided with the same access to opportunities as companies without such issues. However, the EU promotes a policy philosophy that aims to uphold a level playing field. Therefore, in order to avoid charges of hypocrisy, the EU sought policy recommendations that was not exclusive of Huawei, provided sufficient reasons for limiting Chinese companies such as Huawei simultaneously. The EU has arguably succeeded in this task with the publication of cybersecurity of 5G networks, EU Toolbox of Risk Mitigating Measures, in January 2020. As aptly put by the European Internal Markets Commissioner, Thierry Breton, there is zero discrimination. I'm very honest when I'm saying this. I'm not naive, and I know that for some, it'll be easier to comply with than for others. Section 4. Real Politic Dimension International relations realists will consider observed EU values as a performative public rationalization of rational behavior and not determinative in their own right. They will point out that institutional values and ideological positions do not matter if a nation-state and or regional institutions, such as the EU, lack the power to effectuate them. That is, realists contend that the power of the state is a universal objective that subordinates socio-cultural concerns. Accordingly, there is a practical, realpolitik dimension to factor when it comes to contemporary EU and China engagement in the cyber technology realm, one that is driven by internal stakeholder pressures. Internal stakeholder pressures also include the varying positions of EU's member states. While the leading member states have showcased unity in their position on China at times, in other cases they have demonstrated suspicion and dissonant agendas. For instance, the President of France, Emmanuel Macron, has argued for a stronger European position on China. For example, by inviting then-German Chancellor Angela Merkel and then-European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker to talks with Chinese President Xi Jinping in Paris in 2019. However, President Macron's effort was inevitably viewed by other EU members as a crafty way of putting France at the center. Another case in point. Germany has cautiously balanced the interests of its domestic industries and the nation's commitment to EU unity. This balancing act has become strained insofar as Chancellor Merkel has lost the belief that one can operationalize values-based politics, which has led to internal disillusionment with European unity in general and a more pragmatic relationship with Beijing. This move away from values-based politics is largely due to the fact the German economy has been dependent on China for many years, 
whereby the narrative has been a confrontational course towards Beijing would be economic suicide. Put differently, China's importance as a growth market and dominant player for Germany and the EU will continue to increase. Thereby, risk mitigation measures must not lead to broad economic decoupling. Still, even if major EU member states do not necessarily agree on the degree of rigidity and strictness towards China when it comes to cyber technology diplomacy, they tend to share the perception that the EU should formulate its own internal approach to China, independent of foreign actors' influence. By performing this balancing act, the common European objective is to avoid a bipolar system, in which EU member states are forced to pick sides on all relevant policy issues. There is a group led by France, Germany, and Spain that is working with Brussels to enhance the EU's strategic autonomy and economic sovereignty, including the capacity to develop critical core technologies autonomously, independent from China. While managing or hedging dependencies from the U.S., in short, the EU's real politic positions on China can be traced to the ultimate idea that the EU wants to deal with China on its own terms, notwithstanding potential internal frictions when it comes to cyber technology diplomacy. Section five: Implications and Conclusion. The ultimate goal of advocates for EU autonomy is to ensure that the EU can weigh the gains and losses on its own terms. The fissures born by the EU's institutional legacies, self-perceived values-based role, and real politic considerations suggests that there is bound to be a Gestaltian approach towards China when it comes to cyber technology diplomacy. This has the attendant effect of fostering future fractures in the EU's overall engagement with China, and creates opportunities for EU domestic and global actors to exploit. Foremost amongst the EU's smaller member states, there is not necessarily a full agreeableness in advocating for a pan-EU strategy towards China in cyber technology. This is largely the product of external transatlantic pressures that Baltic states, Poland, or Romania face. The United States of America serve as the leading security provider to those nation states against Russia, which has become heavily securitized at the national level after the 2014 annexation of Crimea. These nation states are acutely aware that they have very little to provide, and are making the conscious and pragmatic quid pro quo choice of supporting the USA's position on China's cyber technology. That is by pledging to ban Huawei, even to the extent of contradicting the EU's position. Theoretically speaking, the realist school of thought has a tendency to focus on larger. Powerful nation states' behavior and disregard small nation states' agency. One can argue that in a political and economic union such as the EU, small nations' policy groupings can have an influence on the overall agenda. Smaller national actors may hold little, little sway in real politic terms, but the design of EU institutions, stemming from its internal institutional legacies and values-based propositions. Provide mechanisms for spotlighting their shared and competing interests, 
that allow for various actors to exploit for their own gain. Practically speaking, there are strong economic and market considerations for the EU to allow Chinese cyber technologies in their jurisdiction, thus contradicting institutional and or values-based claims. Simply put, providing Chinese cyber technology companies access to EU markets keeps Europe's own champions in check. For example, while Huawei's equipment is not always cheaper than its competitors, there is a risk that cutting Huawei from a competitive bidding process will mean that other European competitors, for example Sweden's Erikssons or Finland's Nokia, may not competitively price their equipment. To wit, in 2019, Huawei had 44% of 4G network customers, while in 16 out of 31 European nations, more than 50% of 4G equipment comes from Chinese vendors. The impact of keeping Huawei out of the 5G upgrade process will therefore be significant. At the end of the day, while the European Parliament has currently halted deliberations on the CAI and the EU has taken an antagonistic stance towards Chinese cyber technology companies such as Huawei, playing a formidable role in its internal markets, paying sole homage to its institutional legacies and the values that it promotes can be costly in real politic terms. This is a balancing act that the EU may not have the full luxury of agency to act upon in a post-COVID environment. Given the EU's weak post-COVID economic outlook, member states will struggle to invest in their 5G digital transformation while at the same time achieve a high level of digital sovereignty. As the March 2021 joint letter from leaders of Germany, Denmark, Estonia, and Finland to the European Commission suggests, Europe's technological capacity and its ability to establish values and rules in a technology-centered world is becoming dominated by other nations. They thus call for the European Union to get ahead of the curve in the digital transformation. Notwithstanding the difficulties to do so factoring real politic considerations, the uncomfortable fact is that the United States who stores 92% of the Western world's data, and not China, is the biggest threat to achieve this goal.